Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. It is Monday afternoon, and I am doing my podcast intro for today's episode, episode number 1555. And I thought, what the heck? I might as well just go live and talk to all of you. This will only be for the intro portion part, though. The rest of the episode uh, will be on the YouTube channel. So I'm just doing the intro with you, and I'm glad you could join me for it. All two of you. (laughs) who are watching on this surprise, spontaneous uh, intro. Hey, actually, now it's four of you. And by the way, that only counts one of the platforms. So anyway, uh, I'll just go through this real fast. Just a couple things I wanted to share here. want to make sure a lot of you did yesterday on the live stream, I announced this. Go to pandemicinvesting.com and be sure to get your mini book on pandemic investing. That is 100% for free. It's a great little primer on uh, some of my 10 commandments of successful investing, but re-engineered just a tad for pandemic investing, because this is a time of crisis and a time of change. And we want to make sure that you are ready and equipped to deal with that. So again, free mini book at pandemicinvesting.com. And let's go ahead and dive into a few of these slides. For those of you listening to the podcast that will be released later today, if you want to see the visual aids, feel free to just go to the YouTube channel. You can see them there. But I briefly talked about this before, and I think this is so critically important. It's the concept of shadow demand. And during the Great Recession 10, 12 years ago, we heard a lot about shadow inventory or shadow supply. Well, now I'm talking about shadow demand, shadow demand for housing. And this is a big, big deal. Here is one, just one of those shadow demand elements. And that element is young people who are living at home with their parents. And just see how significant this is. Back in the 30s, during the Great Depression, 1929 to 1939, 43% of young adults aged 18 to 29, so that's their age, 18 to 29-year-olds, lived at home with their parents. Now, that number went down. It was at a low point in the 1960s, and the generation of free love, the flower children, taking LSD, probably didn't want to live at home doing that, so they moved out (laughs) on their own. Some of them lived in a commune in Northern California, right? Uh, Or wherever, right? So it went down to 29%. Then in the 70s, 
obviously, uh, you know, we all are pretty familiar with the economic hardships of the 70s, the era that stagflation was with us, that time where the Jimmy Carter misery index was discussed a lot, where you have high unemployment and high inflation at the same time. That absolutely stinks. It is a really bad economic scenario. So, you know, it's it's going up, right? 31% of the people are living at home. But remember, housing was still very affordable back then. Then in the 80s, little more even during the good times of the roaring 80s. The 90s got a lot worse. 2000s got even worse. And during the financial crisis, the Great Recession, the GFC, global financial crisis, whatever you want to call it, 10 to 12 years ago, depending on how you look at it, 44% of these young adults aged 18 to 29 years old lived at home with their parents. Well, guess what? Now, a whopping, the biggest in recorded history, a whopping 52% live at home with their parents, 52%. That is ginormous. That's a big, big number. And guess what? Of these millions and millions of young adults, they will not always live at home. They will move into the housing market. They will rent houses. They will buy houses. And that will be a very significant factor. We're looking at the last 120 years of data here, folks. And now, right now, is the largest number of these young adults living at home. All right? That is not going to last. It is not going to hold. It is not going to continue. And remember that these young adults really represent two generations. They represent Generation Z, the youngest of them, and they also represent Generation Y or more commonly known as the millennial generation, 80 million Americans in total. But this is the younger side of that generation, right? The oldest millennials now are 40 years old. They're turning 40 this year. And we thought they were so young. They're not so young anymore, right? And they've moved into the housing market, but they've done it much more slowly than my generation, the Gen X generation, right? It's just interesting to watch this. I just really want to drive this point home because this is a big, big deal. This generation of of people living at home that represents shadow housing demand. In other words, it's a shadow. It's not really there yet. We haven't seen it yet. We can see that it's casting a shadow that will come into the housing market and drive more demand in a market where housing supply is really, really short. Now, listen, I know that at any time in history, and especially now, there's no shortage of people predicting the end of the world. The Zero Hedge website, which by the way, I love to follow. I think that's a fantastic website. They got some really interesting reporting. They've been predicting the end of the world since they started. Howard Ruff, the late, now late Howard Ruff, I'm pretty sure. Sorry if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure. He was on my show a few years back and really interesting guy to listen to, had a huge newsletter following back in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. He was predicting the end of the world, currency collapse, you know, deflation, inflation, both at once, you know, (laughs) I'm just telling you. What I'm trying to point out is that it's always these purveyors of doom 
that get a lot of media attention. Who was it? Ravi Batra, who wrote The Great Depression of 1995, which the complete opposite happened, by the way. And he was a hugely famous professor at the time for uh, writing that and writing the book on that and all that kind of stuff. So look at you got to understand something. We are definitely in challenging economic times. Unemployment has skyrocketed. There is no question about it. We are in serious problems. But at the same time, you've got to peel the layers of the onion. You've got to isolate that to really understand what parts of the market are truly affected. Remember, three types of housing markets, linear markets, cyclical markets, and hybrid markets. And I wish I had my chart of that here to share with you. I don't. But linear markets, obviously, slow and steady. This is the, the, you know, the, the parable of the tortoise and the hare, where the cyclical markets, the complete opposite. I do believe we will have significant real estate price adjustments in cyclical markets, especially high-density cyclical markets. Here's the problem! Did you get that? Did I make my point by yelling? I hope so. Here's the problem. All of these people talking about market crashes never bother to isolate what they mean. They just talk about the real estate market or the stock market or the economy in general. And I don't know what that means. We are in a country with 400 real estate markets, 400 real estate markets, actually more than that. That's just looking at it as... MSAs or Metropolitan Statistical Areas, and I believe the number's like 392, close enough to 400, 400. But in those areas, there are all kinds of different neighborhoods, price segments, density types, product types, condos, single-family homes, high-rise condos, low-rise condos, garden-style condos. You know, folks, you know, people just do not isolate this stuff. They make these sweeping frankly, very stupid generalizations about the real estate market. And what they don't talk about is that over the past 12 to 14 years, virtually nobody has been building entry-level workforce housing. It's completely absent from the market. All of the focus in new home construction as there has been this dramatic housing shortage with us really for decades. Now, there have been a couple times where the supply-demand curve has shifted, but overall, we've had a housing shortage for decades. And, you know, look at the price of housing. It's gone up, up, up. But interestingly, now, with interest rates so low, housing has gotten cheaper for a lot of people. And that's why the market is booming. Then you add to it shadow demand, you add the mass migration from urban markets to suburban markets, out of high density cities, out of unfriendly jurisdictions like the Socialist Republic of California, my former home state, you know, the Socialist Republic of Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, Taxachusetts, (laughs) you know, all of these things. And if you are doing what the famous Wayne Gretzky said, you are skating to where the puck is going, you are going to be in very good shape. 
And that's what our investors are doing. And that's what we're helping people do. More on that, you know, listen to the other podcast episodes, follow our other YouTube channel stuff, and you'll find more about that. Another thing I want to tell everybody to be very cautious about, and this really isn't hitting it on the head, this chart. This chart says, COVID-19 set to decimate global airport revenue. This has already happened. I, I don't need to, you know, tell you this. You know that the travel industry is on the rocks. It's been absolutely devastated. But airports in particular are a big expense and a big revenue generator for many municipalities. And what we are going to see in these high-tax, business-unfriendly, landlord-unfriendly, civil unrest-friendly, everywhere where they want people to ride in the streets, which is basically a Joe Biden political rally, that they won't stop because you can't, these are, these are Joe Biden's voters, okay? You know, if, you, if you're going to put the kibosh and tell them they can't have the riot, then, uh, you know, that's not going to be good for Joe Biden's campaign promises. And by the way, I just got to comment on good old Sleepy Joe, right? Who, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so hilarious. This political race has got to be the funniest. Here we've got Trump who... Un offends everybody on purpose. Then we've got Joe Biden, who is such a complete massive hypocrite. It's just comical, frankly. Joe Biden, who likes to call himself middle-class Joe, that's exactly what he likes to call himself, middle-class Joe. Do you know what his adjusted gross income was last year for middle-class Joe? It was over $4.8 million. Yes, middle-class Joe over $4.8 million last year, almost 5 million bucks. Not bad, middle-class Joe, not bad. But here's the reason I wanna show you this airport chart, because it is just a proxy for the bigger thing that's happening. If you are invested in municipal bonds or any kind of security that depends on the success of a municipality, a city, a county, even a state. Watch out. Make sure you are extremely careful. And a lot of you own these securities already. They're just buried into some fund that maybe your retirement plan is invested in or some mutual fund that you have or uh, some managed portfolio of some sort. And in many of these areas, you are going to see massive, massive defaults. One other area that I want to really caution you about, CMBS market, the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. So there is almost no appetite right now for lenders to lend on certain types of commercial properties because they know that there is just massive default risk. And a lot of these securities attached to these commercial property mortgages, specifically in retail properties, well, retail is probably the hardest hit of them all, okay? But second to, would be office properties, right? Retail and office. You're going to see just a massive amount of defaults. And you watching or listening to this may well have a lot of these securities already in your portfolio and you don't even know they're there. So do a checkup from the neck up and make sure that you are moving your money around to where it is safer. Very important thing to be doing right now. Also, 
If you're new to my content, I just want to say again, go to jasonhartman.com slash start. That's jasonhartman.com slash start. Of course, here today, we're on episode number 1555. So if you're interested in our content, our analysis of the market, of economics, personal finance strategies, et cetera, and you know, you might not have time to listen to the last 1,554 episodes of our podcast right now, right? Okay, fine. So don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Just go to jasonhartman.com slash start and listen to some selected episodes that discuss sort of some of the fundamental issues, okay? And you can you can do that there. Just wanted to share that with you for people newer to our content or people who want a, uh, a rehash of some of the fundamentals. Now, last thing before we get to our guest today, and our guest today is my friend Mark Moss, who will be with us in a moment. If you're just watching the live stream right now, this impromptu live stream, uh, you're not going to see Mark here. He will be on the YouTube channel and uh, the audio version on the podcast. Really interesting episode. So uh, that's coming up. But before we get to that, I want to just share this chart. And this is uh, public records of, and it's Redfin, the real estate company, analyzing MLS data. And this chart is very significant. Why is it very significant? Number one, it's totally current. Just came out last week. And it says home price gains in August, in August, are the highest since 2014. And this is a year-over-year change in national median home prices. Why is that important? Well, as we were coming out of the Great Recession and the market was starting to gain steam, you saw it starting to gain a lot of steam in 2012. But that was still pretty early for a lot of people. A lot of people, number one, couldn't get financing. A lot of people had been foreclosed on, and so their credit was really beat up. And a lot of people were just plain fearful. They were scared. What is fear? False education appearing real. The acronym, false education appearing real or false evidence appearing real. To make it more contemporary from that old acronym, we'll just call it fake news. <laughs> fake news. You know, we hear that one a lot nowadays. So, you know, the market really didn't start ramping up in a hugely significant way until 2014. And then it was really getting some major, major momentum. And then, of course, we saw it bumble along. You know, sometimes it was up, sometimes it was down. The Fed was experimenting with, okay, is it time to raise rates yet? Is it time to tighten up the money supply yet? Because we've got to recover from all the quantitative easing programs and all this loose monetary policy, right? Remember, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, our central bank, or any other central bank around the world, like the ECB, the European Central Bank, or any other country's central banks, they all work to some extent in lockstep coordinating their efforts. But our central bank, the Federal Reserve, is of course the largest and most powerful central bank in the world. And, you know, they've got to have some ammunition for downturns. That's why low interest rates are so risky. They've got to get to a less accommodative policy as quickly as they can, because then they have ammunition to fight the next change in the economy. And they were doing that. 
They were doing that pre-COVID. They were stockpiling. They were, you know, in essence, stockpiling. I don't mean that literally, but they were, they were sort of trying to draw that loose money accommodative policy in a little bit. You know, the Fed controls the monetary policy and the fiscal policy is controlled by the government, mostly Congress, mostly the House Ways and Means Committee, to be very specific. Very powerful committee that controls, well, the ways and the means, as the name would apply, the spending and the and the savings, right, of, of the government and the tax policy. So as we see this happening, amazingly, during this time where everybody thought Everything would be half price. Everything would be super cheap. Guess what? They were wrong. And I don't want you to miss this opportunity because a lot of people right now are thinking, oh, there's going to be a big crash, but they didn't bother to segment that. Yes, there will be a big crash in New York City and Los Angeles and Seattle and uh, San Francisco. Actually, you don't even have to say there will be. There already is. Is. It is happening now. Uh, but it's going to continue. That's my prediction, okay? It's going to continue. And non-necessity housing in general, but especially high-density urban core. But in August, the year-over-year change in home prices was the highest it's been since 2014. That was an 11% upswing. And this is this is just incredible. One of the things the the market timers never account for in their analysis, they say, oh, well, I'm going to keep my powder dry and wait for the next downturn. Great. Good for you. Okay, fine. And you may be right. There may be a big downturn. Okay, sure. But you know what they never calculate? They never calculate the cost of waiting to time the market. Let's assume their predictions are exactly right. They nail it. They buy at the lowest point, and then they rent their properties for a few years, and they sell them at the highest point. But guess what? In waiting to get to that point, they lost return on investment. So if you go to jasonhartman.com right now, and you click on the properties page, and you see what small number of properties are available there, and you see, okay, well, here's a property with a projected annualized return on investment, overall return on investment of, I'll just say, 24% annually, all things considered. Remember, income property is a multi-dimensional asset class. So you earn your, your return on investment, your ROI, in many forms. So say altogether, it's 24%, or maybe it's 28%. Okay, so say the this collapse in the market starts next year. And great, it starts to decline, but you're keeping your powder dry. So you only lost 28% return on investment waiting one year, but now you're still waiting to ride it to the bottom. So if you're looking at this chart, you're here and you're waiting to ride it to the bottom and then you get to the bottom and say that takes another year. So now you lost 28% annually times two years. So you lost almost 60% return on your investment over those two years, but then you got to the bottom. And guess what happens to your psychology at the bottom? Wow, things are looking really bleak. I'm really scared. I don't know, maybe I better wait a little bit for the news to improve. Okay, so say you, you wait six months and you lost now another 14% return on investment. So now you've lost like what? 
what's that, 72% return on investment if my math off the top of my head is right? Okay, fine. Now your powder that you've been keeping dry, all that cash you haven't done anything with, you now flood it into the market and you buy everything in sight. Good for you. You timed the market and you got it right. Pretty much, pretty much. Maybe you could have purchased six six months earlier, but you got it pretty close. And uh, then you did great, right? You lost 72% waiting, but because you got such a bargain and you don't know what interest rates are then, so maybe you're paying a higher interest rate, probably won't be much lower than it is now, likelihood. And then you really scored. And then you just got to figure out when to ride it to the top and when to sell. But what if you're wrong? What if that never happens? That decline that you were expecting? Then you simply lost that 72% and you're either paying the same price now and the same interest rate now, or you're paying a higher price and a higher interest rate. This is why market timing is a dangerous activity. Okay. You know, Warren Buffett, commonly thought of as the world's greatest investor, he doesn't do market timing. He just buys value and holds on to it. You know, we can argue about Buffett's strategy, whatever, but it's it's been pretty good over the decades. All right. So that's it for today. JasonHartman.com for more. We've got to get to our guest. I know a lot of you on the live stream are making comments, asking questions. I don't have time to get to those today. We'll save them for the next live stream or I'll just answer them on the podcast at on iTunes, just look up the Creating Wealth Show or go to jasonhartman.com, click on podcast, and you'll find all the links there for it. All right, without further ado, let's get to our guest and let's talk to my buddy Mark about his predictions. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. We're going to talk about the real estate market, the economy in general, monetary and fiscal policy. And here we go. By the way, just a reminder, again, if you're seeing this live, go to the YouTube channel, go to the podcast for the rest of this interview. If you're listening on the podcast, here we go to part two with Mark. Hey, it's my pleasure to have my friend Mark Moss back on the show. He is an investor, an entrepreneur, a crypto expert, and just an all-around great guy who's very well-informed about so many things in life. Before we started, we were just talking about the craziness that's going on in California. He just got back from Mexico, looked at property there on on two recent trips. And it's great to have him back on the show. Mark, welcome. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, Jason. Always a pleasure to sit down and talk to you. Thank you. Absolutely feel the same way. So you got back from a surfing trip and you noticed that in Mexico, a what some would call a third world country or more politically correct developing country, Right. The power stayed on, which was not the case in the fifth largest economy by GDP in the world, the Socialist Republic of California, where you live and where I'm from. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so why is it that the power stays on in Mexico, but not in California? Yeah, you know, it was a definitely a, a very glaring difference. I, I am from California. I can't seem to leave the beach and the surf here. Plus all my family's here. The weather's great, but yeah. man, they're making it hard and, to stay. And you're in San Clemente, just so, just so for the record, right? Yeah. San yeah. Long in a little, in a nice little bubble down here, kind of insulated, yeah, yeah. not insulated from the taxes and the crazy policies and whatnot. But yeah, you know, as you just said, right. I mean, California is the richest state in the nation. It's the fifth largest economy in the world. If it was a, a government, a, a nation, I mean, obviously Hollywood and Silicon Valley are here. We have the highest taxes, state taxes in the nation, not only the highest, but double the highest. Yeah. We have the highest energy. I think it's six times the average, uh, our energy and highest. Yet, don't forget gas prices. 
I mean, that's energy, but you know, specifically yeah. gas prices. And what was interesting is while I was in Mexico last week, we had rolling blackouts. The electricity was shutting off over and over and over. In California, and, uh, not Mexico. No, in California. In California. Right. So yeah. I'm gone. And we had a heat wave. It's September. So heat waves in, in California are typical. It was extremely hot, but it was not hotter than what is normal for this time of year. So yes, it was hot, but not it was not hotter than what is normal. So we weren't having like crazy global warming, extreme temperatures. It was just normal for this time of year. And that being said, our next door neighbor, Arizona, is way hotter, like 20% hotter. But while we were gone, not only was it hot, then we had the raging wildfires, which made the air quality really, really, really bad. Even where I'm at, uh, probably 100 miles away from any fire, the air is bad. So the air is bad. It's extremely hot. People are having to work from home. Kids are uh, trying to do school from home. And yet we have no electricity. And of course, that makes you think about a third world country that can't keep the electricity on. Um, I do spend a lot of time in Mexico. I've had two recent trips in the last month, month and a half. And where I was at in Mexico has one paved road and everything else is dirt roads. It's not, it's not a big town. It's not a resort town, but the air conditioning, or I'm sorry, the the electricity stayed on no problem there. And so I'm like, I'm with my wife and I'm like, man, do we even want to go home to California right now? Like the air quality is bad. The electricity is not on. We can just stay here and have electricity and air conditioning. And so stay in modern, in modern Mexico. (laughs) You know, this is ironic that we're even saying that, but. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it makes you, it makes you think, and, and uh, you know, I am a market analyst, right? I'm on YouTube. And so I'll do a study of the markets and, and commentate on them. So, you know, I, I pay attention to these things. And the thing that I think most people are missing is that what's happening in California, one is coming for the rest of the country and coming for the rest of the world. So Mexico seems to be doing better now, but I believe this problem is coming to the world. And the reason why I say that is because the problem that we're having with electricity is not an accident. It's actually by design. It's actually been done purposely to get us to this point. And that's why I say it's going to come to the rest of the country because the rest of the country is starting to adopt or wanting to adopt the same policies that, that California is. And then, of course, the rest of the world will also adopt them. We're already seeing it in some of the developed nations like in Germany, for example. And so what I mean by that is that California is leading the charge on uh, fighting back against uh, climate change. It used to be global cooling, then it was global warming, and now they can't get it right, so it's just climate change. Um, they they keep so, changing their mind, like as if the climate never changed before, right? But I mean, I admit that there is probably some climate change going on, but you know, the question is, what's the reason? There are so many things to that onion, you'd have to peel back a thousand layers to really dissect that argument. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just mostly being used as a political football to control people and tax them and have additional regulation, you know, so that's... Yeah, no, that, that's, that's exactly that. right. And the problem that that we've, our world has shifted to is that everybody has this very short-term thinking and we've lost this long-term perspective. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is we kind of manage everything very closely. So you know, the, the pandemic is, is a great a great example, but without trying to dive into that, but back to climate change, you know, we're making a decision, like in California's case, for example, we make a decision to shut off all of our natural gas and coal electricity plants. In addition, shut down what is non-fossil fuel, nuclear energy. So we shut down the nuclear plants. And the yeah. goal was to push everything to renewables, wind and solar. And that sounds great. And I love it. And in a perfect world, that would be, that'd be great. The problem is there's reality. That's the problem. And the reality is, is that wind and solar aren't enough. 
And so we end up in a situation like we are today where we had ideology to shut off coal and, and natural gas, which they consider fossil fuel. We also shut down nuclear, which is not fossil fuel, but whatever, they shut that down as well. And we had this great idea that wind and solar would work, but it doesn't. And so we end up with six hours a day of no electricity. And imagine this, Jason, for, for people that don't really grasp how extreme this is. Right now, California is still one of the strictest states in the nation as far as like lockdown and stay-at-home orders mm-hmm. and things like that. So this is at a time when all businesses are closed. All yeah. office towers, all office buildings. You malls, can't escape anywhere else, right? And yeah. schools, schools, everything yeah. is shut down. Schools are shut down. Malls are shut down. Office, but everything is shut down. So who's using the electricity? So at a time when we're, our electricity usage is very low because everything's shut down, we still can't keep the lights on. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it is such a complete ripoff for parents who are having to homeschool. And can you imagine single parents having to do the home? They're basically homeschooling, essentially. I mean, yeah, the, they produce some content on Zoom if you can get it when the power's on. Right. But and, and there's no tax rebate for the fact that you're not paying for a real, you're not getting a real school experience for your kids. So that's a complete ripoff. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. You know, I haven't talked about it too terribly much on the show, Mark, but I have a little bit. You know, have you followed the forest management issue and the reasons for these wildfires? I mean, that's just, I remember when I was in Arrowhead with my girlfriend at the time years ago, and it was right after that big giant Lake Arrowhead fire. And, you know, the, the guide who was this, total environmentalist guy who was giving us a tour and telling us about the fires uh, just right before we were there said, you know, the reason we had the fire is because the environmentalists wouldn't let them clear the brush below the trees because it would disturb a beetle. Yeah. Okay, that was there. And so there was tons of kindling to just, you know, fuel that fire. And if they would have allowed the brush clearing and, and some, you know, reasonable backfire locations and so forth, it could have been prevented largely or, you know, stopped quickly. And this is just, it's just crazy. It's like yeah. they want this. I'm definitely no expert on the fire. So I, I, I don't want to put myself out as I am some, um, uh, you know, expert, yeah. but I have read articles from fire captains, fire chiefs, fire policy uh, makers who have been coming out publicly saying exactly what you're saying. So many experts have been writing articles saying the exact same thing. I I don't want to pretend I am one, but yes, they are saying the same thing. But in addition, all through uh, in Northern California and Oregon, they've uh, found several Antifa people setting fires. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, one guy set a fire, was out on bail, and 90 minutes later was busted again, setting another fire. Yeah. And you know what they're doing? They're allowing prisoners to fight the fires, which I think is fine because it does give them a path, you know, to when they get out, they can actually become a firefighter if they fight the fires in prison. That's the program. But murderers, rapists, and get this, arsonists are being allowed to fight the fires and they can actually become firemen after their release. Real firemen, arsonists. I mean, you got to be kidding me. That's that's just... That's just the nuttiest. The only only Gavin Newsom's could think of that, and that yeah. was that was his deal with the uh, the inmates. So yeah, it is so, a crazy time. But and so the so the problem is is that if you want to know what the what the country looks like when the Democrats take over, look at California because yeah. it's Nancy Pelosi's the her, third ranking member in the U.S. and her state sure. is California. Also Kamala Harris, who's now you know on the vice president campaign, she's was the attorney general of California obviously Gavin Newsom, et cetera. And so 
um, those policies, so the House Democrats, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi led a bill to push this same energy platform that's happening in California. So her plan is, is basically the plan that's in California and now it's coming for the country. That's why I said it's coming. But then you have yeah. really under the Biden platform, you have AOC and Bernie Sanders who are really setting the kind of the, the full more policy and they're pushing the Green New, uh, Green New Deal which is even way more aggressive. And so we'll see even way more electricity shut down. And the thing is, is that they understand the problem, but they think that it's a necessary sacrifice. You need to be okay with going without electricity for four or five hours a day. You just need to be okay with that because that's what it takes to save the world. And uh, I'll bet you Nancy Pelosi has a uh, built-in generator in her mansion for her sub-zero refrigerator with well, her ice cream in it. You know? Yeah, and that's a whole other situation because in California, yeah. as I said, our electricity prices are already six times higher on average in the nation. So, for example, I know many parts of the nation, they might pay six to eight cents per kilowatt hour. In California, we mm -hmm. pay about 45 Put that into perspective. And so that's yeah. already really hard on the lower end, right? On the lower income people. But right. what they did with some of these rolling blackouts is if you wanted to pay triple, you could leave your power on. So that's even worse again. So not only does the lower income- It's an elitist, it's a whole elitist thing now. Yeah, unbelievable. Of course it's in the name of equality. But yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But not not a quality at all. So tell us what this means to the market. I mean, the real estate market in California was already, you know, in the higher end areas of California, certainly that's a cyclical market. It was already under under pressure It was already softening long before COVID. And you know, I'd been predicting that for years, because the buyers were starting to reject the high prices. Now, you know, with the low interest rates, it's got a little bit of a reprieve. But still, those prices are, are very very much out of whack with anything reasonable, right? Very so much. what do you what do you think is going to happen in the real estate market there? And before you answer, you know, there are four bills in California now, and you know, uh, they'll probably get two of them through and two more will come later. One is repeal Prop 13, basically, I mean, you know, these things all have nuance, but generally, that's something idea. different, but We're, yeah. Repeal Prop 13, Howard Jarvis's 1978 tax bill. I remember that when I was a kid. And then raise the highest marginal rate to like 16.4%, I believe, uh, instead of 13.3% where it is now. And then have a wealth tax of 0.4% per year. Even if you make zero money or you lose money that year, well, they're just going to take some of your wealth. And then what was the other one? I, so I can't think a of a 10-year exit tax. So if you leave the state for 10 oh, years, yes, yes. you're liable for, for that. And they also have another one where if you sell your house and move to another state, you have to pay a big chunk of that sales price as well. Unbelievable. I don't know if they can constitutionally get a retroactive tax through, but I wouldn't put it past them to figure out a way because, you know, I only left California nine years ago, so I could be liable. I could get a tax bill for that last year I was there. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, those are great points that you bring up. And the reason why that's important to everybody is because as you look at the real estate market and you and I have had these conversations, there is no such thing as the market. There's thousands and thousands of little tiny submarkets, And so right. when you look at problems in California, like we're discussing our problems, whether it may be in New York City or Michigan or whatever, you have to understand that affects other parts of the country. So while mass people might be fleeing a couple states, where are they all going? And that could uh, positively affect those areas. And so you need to understand there's nuance there. And even inside California, there's nuance. So for example, of course, I live yeah. by the beach in a small little beach community and real estate here is nuts. It's going completely nuts. Yeah. I mean, literally- right. $3 million homes are, are getting multiple offers and selling in, in weeks. 
But then other areas like, like you mentioned, like Silicon Valley, for example, the home markets are weakening a lot up there. But then you go a couple hours from there into the mountains, like around Tahoe and the real estate market's nuts again. And yeah. uh, even here in Southern California, our mountains are, are called Big Bear, Big Bear and Arrowhead. Yeah. I was gone, but I talked to people who were trying to go up there last weekend and it's about a two hour drive up a windy mountain road. And it was bumper to bumper traffic going up and down. Every single hotel was sold out. So people are flocking to those areas. I have a friend who has a- Well, they, they were just flocking there probably because it's cool. You know, it's higher altitude, so it's much cooler. Well, there's, there's and part And if you can't that, have air conditioning. Well, it's yeah. part that, but also um, I have a friend who's got vacation rentals out in Palm Springs, and he said mm-hmm. he turns away five to 10 people every single day. And so people are trying to do like kind of staycations and like, mm-hmm. get me out of the city. I'm going to go to Palm Springs. I want to get away from people. Right. Get me out of the city. I want to go to the mountains. And so those areas, even within like a Southern California or even a Los Angeles County, uh, certain areas are doing way better than others. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So the overall, I mean, you know, some people are starting to predict like a, uh, a real estate crash in 2021. A lot of people said it would be here by now, right? But do you think that's going to happen? Now, of course, we both know and everybody listening has to know that there's at least 400 local markets in the United States, 400 MSAs. And within those MSAs, there are many more markets. Then there are product types by price range. What you gave the example of in your community, $3 million homes selling like that, you know, the rich are getting richer. We've all seen that this is a very uneven situation right now. But, you know, just give us your general thoughts on where we're going, what to expect. Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing that everyone needs to understand, and, and when I look at the comments on my videos, and I'm sure you see the same thing, is that there's a lot of nuance, right? You have to understand, as I said, there's no the market. There's 400 markets, and then there's sub markets and types and prices and whatever. So, for example... The, I, I think there's going to be a lot of softening in what we call like the McMansions. Those might be the, you know, $500 uh, million dollar price homes, particularly through kind of the Midwest and the Northeast as the baby boomers want to leave those types of homes and leave the cold, the, the snow and go for warm climates where they can play tennis and golf year round. Uh, they want to leave expensive places, go to cheap places. So I think there's a lot of softening there because uh, one, they all want to, a lot of people want to leave those areas. And two, we don't have the population, the demographics aren't there to, to move up and, and take those houses. So those types are going to be, be bad, but then in areas that have sunshine 360 days a year, very cheap, low taxes, et cetera, I see starter homes, you know, the bread and butter, three bedroom, two baths that could still do really, really well. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand there's nuance to the market. This will be continued on the next episode. Thank you for listening and happy investing. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.